Hello and welcome to the Emotional Work Podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition and today is our final episode in our three-part series focusing on the imposter phenomenon Um, and we've spent two episodes so far looking at what the imposter phenomenon is um, and looking at it very much from that one-to-one manager relationship and uh, and our our recurring guest Hannah Vincent is back with us uh, today but we've also got someone else new on the podcast Um, so we're going to have a different voice in this episode too. Uh, So let's get our two guests on the air. So first of all, Hannah Vincent. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Hi, Phil. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. Glad to have you as well. And then from the Emotional Work team, we've got Gabby Williams. Hi, Gabby. Hi. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. Very excited. Good. Me too. Me too. Today's going to be, I think, a really interesting one. Um, So before we get into the podcast proper, though, um, because we've got a new guest on, I think it's only appropriate that um, that we 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 get to know our guests again through the use of um, our innocuous questions. So our, our, our unexpected yet innocuous question today is what skill would you like to learn? So what skill? would you like to learn is our innocuous question for today. Now for me, it's magic. I love magic, card tricks in particular, and I would love to learn how to do card tricks and magic. I think it would just be so much fun to do. Um, Whether I'd have time to learn it is something else entirely, but that would definitely be a skill that I would love to learn. I would love to be able to do kind of sleight of hand. Uh, not that the the audience can hear my see my my hand movement. Anyway, I'd love to do sleight of hand kind of card trick magic. So that would be me. That would be the skill I would love to learn. Um, is that a childhood dream then? Lots of um, little boys dream of that. No, actually, it was it was something. I think it came from. Um, my kind of journey into the world of deception really so when i think i was like i don't know late 20s early 30s when i was when i was kind of i'd started my quest into emotions and then um often that quest takes you into the world of deception because we often we try what we try and hide are are our feelings um and then it was and then it was a discussion and a debate i had with someone about whether magic is deception or not um because if you were to look at it like the dictionary definition um of, of deception is where is with is an intent to to mislead um or um yeah intent to mislead without prior notification so without letting somebody know in advance that they're being deceived so for example when you go to see so i went to see a, a production of the theater last night and i know that the lead actor on stage or that the person playing the lead isn't that actual person so they're not, as I went to see Elf the Musical last night, They that person isn't Buddy the Elf. But for all intents and purposes in that example, they are. So they're not deceiving me because I, I've already been told that, that it's not. And so, and with magic, right. you know, you're going to be tricked. And so, and and, mm-hmm. and, and, and so, yeah, just got me really interested in, in it. And then, yeah, and, and I love watching it, you know. The, when I when when I if I'm going to get lost on YouTube, I can get lost in Penn and Teller fooled us videos and, uh, really? and places like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love it. And I took well, my daughter. Well. I, I took my eldest daughter to see Darren Brown last no earlier on this year, and that was amazing as well. So yeah, sorry. Anyway, yeah, magic for me. Yeah. Wow. Well, for me, I think it would be something a bit more practical, um, and it's 
improving the skill rather than learning a new skill. Um, mm -hmm. I I like to sew, and I have so many projects that I start, but I'm actually not very good at it. So they just end up in a in a cupboard waiting for me to finish it. But I love to be good at sewing and be wearing the the, the, the clothes that I have in my mind and I, that I envision. They just never come out the way I want them to. So um so yes, if I if I had time I would definitely want to um to improve on that one. That would be that would be a, a big one. Yeah. Oh that'd be an incredible skill. I think uh, when I was in Cubs, I had to sew a button onto something to get like my sewing badge, and I think that's the I think that's the extent of my sewing. I probably could sew on a button, and that would probably be as far as I would as far as could go. So no, the idea of of actually making clothes, honey, that'd be amazing. That'd be brilliant. Uh, Gabby, for you, um, I think mine's a bit of a boring one, but I'd love to be able to cook much better than I can now. I want like more recipes and more fun things to make because I'm very bad at cooking at the moment. Yeah. Okay. More exciting foods for me to eat. What would be, what's something that you would like love to cook that you just think, you just feel would be like so, so far beyond your skills at the moment? Is there like a dish oh. that you're like, oh, yeah, I'd love to cook that? Well, I don't know. I think it's also, it's baking. It's like all of the different cakes and stuff that I could never be able to cook. Or, you know, it's just all very technical. Yeah. 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 So cooking, I love. Baking, I hate. Okay, baking mm. is just far too precise. Like You've got to be very exact in your quantities. You can't mix and match your ingredients. Um, so, yeah. But, you, you know, cooking. Lots of sugar in there and it will be fine. That's my <laughs> yeah, <approach>. exactly. <laughs> all of the sugar. Um, all of the sugar. Okay. All right. So, um, so for this, um, final episode in the series, then, um, we want to, I guess, take a, probably maybe we're, we're summing up what we've um, looked at so far, but all the conversations, Hannah, that you and I had, I think we focused on the, how imposter phenomenon can show up for individuals, what managers can do to help and support when somebody is already in a job or in a role, whether already in an organization. Um, and then I think for for today, we probably, I think we're looking a bit earlier in that process, aren't we, in terms of thinking about how might we attract or recruit or maybe welcome those with imposter phenomenon um, into a company or, or, or into an organization. Um, but I guess to do that, the creation of a culture of interpersonal trust and psychological safety um, is going to be important. And and Hannah, is that something that you'd like to just tell us a bit more of your thoughts on? Yeah, so, so like you said, and I think in the previous um, episodes, we really focused on um, how managers can work with um, members in their team that suffer from impulsive feelings and how they can get the most out of these people. But um, I think what's important also to look at is, is look at it maybe from a broader perspective and look at um, the role that is set aside for maybe HR or senior leaders um, in, in how to create a safe place at work in general. Um, so it's, I would say, all about fixing the workplace rather than the person um, and, and so so yes creating a um, 
a, a culture of where people can face, feel safe is is so so important, and it might sound a bit fluffy and a bit woolly. Oh, not um, so. But um, you know, environments where p- employees feel easily judged, where there's a very high focus on um, individual performance, where people um, need to shine individually, that's an ideal breeding ground for imposter feelings. Um, and, 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 and the price of such a culture can be very high. Uh, it, it, it can stimulate anxiety, um, you know, high stress levels, um, uh, burnouts, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're afraid, people are afraid to show weakness or vulnerability and they're afraid of making mistakes and of being unmasked uh, when we talk about the um, yeah. the masked employee um, uh, image um, so a place that offers psychological safety um, where people feel safe to take risk and try out ideas and um, is really important to, um, to 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 get people to to function at their their maximum um, uh, potential and um, there's actually been some research uh, in that, um, I think it was uh, Google that did some research to, mm-hmm. to to look at the link between psychological safety and high-performing teams. So they observed over a couple of years, they observed a number of high-performing teams, and they did some questionnaires and statistical an- analysis on them and tried to figure out what were the predictors of. Mm-hmm. Their, their performance. Um, and one of the most obvious predictors that came out is that the, the teams that work very well together and show high performance, mm-hmm. um, the, the main predictor is actually psychological safety. So when people feel safe within their team and they feel like they're not easily judged and they can make mistakes and they can try out ne- new things, they feel safe to do that. Mm-hmm. That's a a one-on-one relationship with the performance of its team. So it's not just a fluffy thing. It's it's a really, really um, effective team to make to make to make a, a, a team performing performing well. Um, so yeah, so 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 that's that's a really good thing. Now, how do you do that um, as mm-hmm. an HR team or as a as as a leadership team? That that's not easy. But there's a couple of things an organization can do, um, and that's um, you know show that it's okay to 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 make mistakes or to be mm-hmm. vulnerable it could be for example i don't know um senior leader, leaders talking openly about mental health for example um or about you know how they're sometimes afraid to get it r- wrong um, that's really really impactful um showing that everybody struggles uh, i don't know there could be workshops around you know blameless learning around mm-hmm. also exposing biases within teams um uh, all these kind of things can have a huge impact and 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 are things that are i think set us out really for for the leadership and for hr to to work on in the organization yeah i i mean i agree with you completely hannah i think the that's a big part of, of why emotions aren't discussed in the workplace you know where that feeling of, of psychological safety is is absent um exactly you know the the then having the 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 confidence that you can say I, I feel really nervous about taking on this project i just I don't, I don't know if i feel i don't know if i'm capable of doing it or um i'm really angry about that decision that we've taken to move from x to y because i think it, it undermines our you know what, what it is we're trying to achieve and what we're trying to do and so for somebody to feel 
comfortable um, and safe enough to be able to express those feelings um, it requires what you exactly what you're describing there that um, that culture of psychological safety. Um, one of the things that that we've been we as an emotional work have been working on over the last probably 18 months or so is a blueprint for high performing teams um, in terms of what are some of those components what are some of those aspects that we that we need to have in place in teams that allow those teams to be psychologically safe and then goes on to allow them to be high performing because what we what we found similar uh, we did a, a, a similar literature review to what you described so we also went to look at the google um, um research we also went to the peer-reviewed research as well to say right what are some of those things that um what are these components or these elements that make up for um for high performing teams uh, and then we've been road testing it with two different clients over the last 18 months to see you know what kind of impact does it have where these things are in place um and then we're comparing that to what the team was like prior to our kind of intervention to see how uh, to see how impactful that that can be and what we're finding is that um that yes absolutely the senior leaders have a, a role to play the the hr team or the people function similarly um have a role to play um and i think what's been more uh more impactful though is the way that the the team um engage with each other in it so it's very much that right. social proof aspect so what you mentioned before about a leader saying you know I, I just don't know i don't know if we can hit this goal so we've set ourselves this target we've set ourselves this goal that we want to hit and the way we're acting at the moment i just don't know if we're going to get there and i'm really nervous because if we don't get there i feel like you know my credibility is going to be at risk and i feel like my reputation is at stake if we don't get there and and i i realize that that what that's been doing to my behavior recently is making me really grumpy and making me really short-tempered and um and intolerant of mistakes so when we've not got things right i've got really angry with you as a team about it and i want to say i'm sorry because that doesn't help us actually that doesn't help us get where we need to go um and and that was a a, a meeting i facilitated with um with one of the the leaders in the team not the most senior leader but one of the leaders in the team and the rest of the team around it um because if we can't have that vulnerability which you discussed earlier on and we can't have that openness and we can't have those opportunities to express how we're feeling then the chances of the team being high performing are just really slim exactly that's interesting yeah yeah and i think there's still so much hesitance or shame um in in doing exactly that whereas it creates this 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 um high performing um team spirit uh, and i think especially in in you know in, in in a lot of multinationals there's still this really high focus on individual performance but also mm -hmm. universities um i think i don't know um uh, uh um maybe be in journalism these kind of professions um there's such high competition levels and 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 this focus on on individual performance destroys a lot of this um this trust and this this, mm -hmm. this atmosphere that needs to be there for people to thrive um so it's 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 contradict it's, it's a contradiction there um of of you know focus on on performance and this focus on performance is actually going to reduce your performances uh, within your team. And, and that's sometimes really difficult to grasp, I think, for a lot of people in these organizations and especially the leaders, um, that they don't, they don't always realize that, that they're harming the, the performance of the team by being, being 
you know, this this the superpower um, mm. or, or the image of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I want to come to, to Gabby in a second to to ask, you know, what kind of what your experiences might be in terms of, you know, I don't know, teams or um uh yeah, teams or occasions where where you know you felt safe and, and how, how that's kind of impacted um uh how you feel. Um uh, just before I do that though, I, I wanted to add that um I think sometimes it can feel really big. We might be talking about a, a, like a, a multinational company as, as a whole and trying to affect change across a massive kind of company like that can be quite tricky um, because you've got all these kind of micro cultures with, within it. And I think for the listener then, it might be thinking about, yes, can we do it on a cultural level across a company? And it might be about how can I do this in my team? So what is it that I can do in in my team to create that psychological safety locally, you know, with my immediate people that I'm working with, even if I can't do it across a whole company, if we can do it in a team, I think that's, that's also a really, um, a really important step. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, sorry, Gabby, I um, just wondered if there's yeah something you are thinking or feeling or would like to add. No, I mean, I think having the ability to make mistakes and kind of ask questions without being judged and knowing that actually yeah you've got that safety of it doesn't matter um i think is really helpful yeah because we have an emotion at work yes yes, yes we have an emotion at work <laughs> well i'll tell you what if there's one place that you'd hope it'd be in place then then, then yes. emotion at work would be one so that's true it definitely yeah. is okay um so uh so we talked about that Kind of creating that culture of interpersonal trust, psychological safety. Um, uh, also, though, I think what we're aiming to do with this series as a whole, um, and also I know Hannah, what you're looking to do with um, with the audio, so the audio book that may follow, is about raising just raising awareness of imposter phenomenon as a um, as a phenomenon in in itself. Um, and is that again something you'd like to just speak a bit more about for me? Yeah, well, that's. I think that's a really basic one um, in in the whole conversation around um, uh, imposter phenomenon is is the need to raise awareness around it, um, to unbury it, bury it in a way, um, because remember we talked about around seventy percent of people um, having experienced or regularly experiencing these feelings. So it's it's really um, quite widely quite common um but it's rarely a topic of conversation in 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 companies um and so yeah it, it really all starts with raising awareness and making it a topic of conversation could be through you know an, an informal lunch and learn uh, session mm -hmm. or an awareness week around um imposter phenomenon with posters on the wall or um you know again senior leaders talking about it um and 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 if there's one important aspect of 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 you know making it known and raising awareness i think it's especially important to do that within the line manager community um mm -hmm. so that they are um that th they're aware of it they're handed tools to to, to work with people that, that experience these feelings um so really i i think it's crucial that everyone who manages anyone should be aware of this of this um of this of this thing that is mm -hmm. imposter feelings and and what it means and, and how can how, how they can manage it um why not you know include it in every new manager's 
um, you know, introduction introduction training program. Um, it really should be a part of it, um, and mm. I think it rarely is at the moment. Well, hopefully, with the with this series um, and the extra work that you're doing, Hannah, we're, we're taking some really good steps to um, to doing something about that and, and addressing it. So, yeah, definitely lovely. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's move then in, into the, I guess, the more specific um, aspect that I mentioned earlier on in terms of the how might we how might we attract, how might we kind of recruit, select, uh, and and then welcome people um, in a company or in an organization. Um, in a way that would support those that might have um, have imposter feelings, um, and I think uh, Hannah, we'll come to you first for a bit of introduction, maybe as to to why you think that's important, and and some suggestions that you may have, and then Gabby will come to you afterwards and um, and start to find out a bit more about the research that that you've been doing, if that's okay. So Hannah, let's come your way first. Yeah, yeah. So so that that's a really really crucial. Um, aspect of of making sure to include or to not be mindful about people that that have these imposter feelings mm. um, and especially in in you know the process of looking for a job and um and and, and applying i mean there there's huge peaks of these these feelings because you yeah. actually have to prove you know i i have to prove what i know and what i can do and i'm actually not convinced myself i can do it and, and mm. i know how to do it so that's just that's just a really really big challenge for people with imposter feelings and i can totally satisfied to that myself. Um, uh, it's just so awkward when you have to do interviews and apply for a job and come across really confident when you're just dying inside and you you, you feel like you, you just don't have the right to be there. Mm. Um, so, so, so yes, and, and there's been a lot of research on, on how different profiles respond differently to certain um, uh, job postings. And for example, uh, uh, funny, well, I thought quite funny. There's one study um, that, that showed that men usually apply when they, uh, you know, they meet around 60% of the qualifications in a job ad, whereas mm-hmm. women will apply only uh, when they when they meet 100% of them. So um, you same will be it will be the same for people with imposter feelings they they, mm. they will look at a job description and cross out everything that, all the criteria that they don't meet and walk away so imagine you know the the the, the people you are missing out on just because of how you write your job ad and um and it might be very tempting you know for recruiters to make a whole list of um uh, of, of 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 wishes and and mm. um qualifications you want you want people to um to meet um but you have to think of um how you can scare away certain people in doing that. And so an important first step really is to, I think, trim down your job, job description to the core um, mm-hmm. and, and, and cut out any nice-to-haves, or if there is any nice-to-have, make sure it's specified that they are nice-to-have um, so that you, may, you make every qualified people feel welcome to, to, to apply to, to a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So I think Gabby's work here, and, and going to Gabby, I think she did some interesting research on 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 exactly what's the impact of all these qualifications um, in in a job ad to um, to, to to young people applying. 
and yeah definitely and, and gabby i'll come your way in just a second if that's okay so i think um uh, so we we recruited for a um a social and community manager back in february 2022 um and this was something that i was really aware of when um when we were putting together that like, the role profile and the and the job description and those things so um so we made uh, we we made it clear in there that so for example we said we're looking for someone who um who loves you know, social and community management but doesn't need to know everything um someone who's knowledgeable enough to contribute to the development mm-hmm. of a strategy um and is experienced enough to implement it someone who um is happy to use or willing to to learn these particular tools so we didn't say like you have to be proficient in ms office we just said you know you need to be happy to use or willing to learn these things um uh to um yeah to to make it as 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 specific specific enough that somebody can make a decision to go yes i think i'm interested in that or yes i'm willing to do that but not so stringent that somebody might go oh i don't have that so therefore i can't apply um Mm -hmm. and and that in in a way that made our lives a bit harder because we probably broadened the um the 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 level of applications that we received so we we got lots of applications in um i think it was 200 and something that we got in um um and we was it 200 or something i think it was anyway it was a large amount um uh and we made the commitment to give feedback to everybody so we told them right. if they weren't shortlisted we told them why they weren't shortlisted and if they um and if they were shortlisted we told them why they were shortlisted um and and the the responses that we got then from from people to say a thank you for having such a you know a, a, a practical and in, and a a supportive approach to doing it and for letting us know because most companies would just go oh yeah if you don't hear from us within two weeks you haven't got the job good luck um mm-hmm. whereas we were like no well that's that doesn't help anybody actually that doesn't that just creates a, a degree of anxiety where it doesn't where it doesn't need to exist and i know we're not necessarily talking about imposter phenomenon um uh, or i'm not talking about imposter phenomenon specifically here um but i think that um I agree with you completely. Taking that approach, I think, is is good for everyone, including those that may experience imposter feelings, rather than having an approach that might work well for those that don't have imposter feelings, um, or, or might have a particular set of preferences in a um, in a particular way. So, did you um, find somebody qualified and yeah, absolutely. the right mindset then? Yeah, yeah, Excellent. yeah. Yeah, so we um so a lady called uh, Lizzie, uh, she joined our team back in uh on oh, no, it's January, January this year. Um and uh, and yeah, she's been fantastic for us all, all the way through. Um and there was a couple of other things that, that we did as as we worked our way through. So for example, when we got to the final stage, um so we had like three stages. So we had the application to be shortlisted, then we had an interview, and then we had a presentation followed by a kind of a meet the team, a wider interview. And so when we got to that presentation phase, um, we paid all of our candidates for the work they did because we asked them to do a piece of work to to review what we do at the moment and to give their recommendations and suggestions as to what we should improve or what we should do better, um, which essentially is consultancy work. That's what you ask a consultant mm-hmm. to do. You say to somebody, review what we do and um, give us your recommendations as to how to improve. So we paid all of our candidates um to, to do that piece of work for us, whether they got the job or not. Um, 
because That's again we we felt that was the right thing to do because otherwise we're we're getting all of this free consultancy and what does the individual get for it well they might get the job but they also might not and we just didn't think it was fair to ask them to put that work in um right. without giving them some kind of um uh, some kind of payment for it so we paid them all 200 pounds so we paid them 200 pounds for their work wow interesting approach yeah well we we definitely worked for us we got we got we got a great person as a result so yeah really happy excellent um okay all right so uh gabby i know that for you your research was around um factors that help that might um influence people applying for a for a role so why don't you tell me a bit tell us a bit about what you were trying to what you were researching and what you were trying to find out yeah, so um, I was researching imposter phenomenon in um, people aged 16 to 18 um, because I thought that was, you know, prime time when like people are getting their first jobs or their first couple of jobs um, and kind of what um, what experiences they might have with that. And I thought mm -hmm. imposter phenomenon is one of those things that might come out in that kind of age bracket. Um, so... Yeah, I wanted to know about the factors that go into applying for jobs and then how they're affected by imposter feelings. Okay. Um, so it's probably a good place to start then with those factors, if that's okay. So what were the factors that you were um, you were researching and looking into? Um, so I looked into pay and wages, uh, ease of application, flexibility of hours, um, the contract length, the distance that someone has to travel from their home, Mm -hmm. the effort needed to learn any new skills required for that job and then whether there was a specific industry or fa uh, or sector that people were interested in okay wonderful thank you and i know um you're currently authoring a, a white paper that we'll put out that will kind of list all of the findings so we might not be able to get into every single um bit of detail within the uh, within there today yeah. um what we'll also do for you fair listener is um we'll put a, a link either a link to um to kind of the, the dummy survey or we'll put a pdf of the questions that we asked in the survey in the show notes for this particular episode so if you want to know exactly what we asked and um if you were furiously scribbling down those different factors that gabby was looking into then fear not fair listener uh because they'll be available for you um uh, in the show notes okay so we were looking at those those different factors then so those eight factors in terms of things that might influence the extent to which somebody might apply for a job. And then we were comparing that with or correlating that then with um, imposter feelings. So how did we establish um, the extent to which somebody might have imposter feelings? So we included a link to the Clance um, imposter phenomenon questionnaire, um, which was done by Clance and Imes um, in their research into imposter phenomenon. Um, so at the start of our survey, uh, everyone filled out that questionnaire and it gives them um, an imposter phenomenon score. So basically mm -hmm. tells them kind of how much um, they experience uh, feelings of imposter phenomenon. Uh, and again, for your benefit, fair listener, we'll put a link to that Clance and Imes um, survey into the show notes as well. So if it's something that you're interested in doing, then we'll put a link in, um, a link in to do it. Um, so before we get into your findings though, Gabby, so we're, we're interested in 16 to 18 year olds. So technically, especially within UK law, that means they're not an adult. So how, 
what did we do from a welfare point of view? Because I guess what we needed to be conscious of was that we didn't, um, I guess, um, what am I trying to say? Let me try that one again. So within UK law in particular, 16 to 18 year olds then are, are not an adult. So we have to think about their welfare. So what do we do to support the participants kind of understandings of imposter phenomenon and their welfare within it, Gabby? Um, so I went into the school, I conducted the survey in and I did a presentation for them basically outlining what the research was and kind of what imposter phenom- phenomenon actually is um, and helping them to understand that it's not a medical condition it's not a medical diagnosis everyone has those feelings and it's actually just kind of the extent to which someone feels those feelings um and we gave them some resources that if they wanted to look into it more or they felt like they would have needed some help with it they had those resources to then go and look at afterwards or before if they wanted to okay wonderful and did um um and so when you gathered the data, was it just from one school or one um, sort of establishment? Yeah. So it was the school that I was in locally um, and we got about 200 um, respondents. So, yeah. Okay. So a decent sample size then. That's good. Um, all right. And then um, what, um, what did you, so we're looking at 16 to 18 year olds. Um uh, so before we get into the comparison with, um, or the correlation, sorry, not comparison, the correlation with the factors to the, which to apply for a job, what did we notice about imposter phenomenon and age? So imposter phenomenon and age was linked. Um, hang on, let me start again. Uh, so we found that age and the imposter phenomenon score were linked and we found that 16 year olds had the lowest levels of imposter phenomenon mm-hmm. um which potentially could be um they kind of haven't gone into the experiences like work and had those feelings come on so it might be that they've not mm-hmm. experienced it yet um but yeah 16 year olds showed the lowest and kind of as it went up through the age range it increased for so 18 year olds showed the highest levels okay um did you also if i may ask did you also find a correlation with gender yes we did um so we also found that overall women imposter phenomenon so we had um 20 of the females that were asked were in the 80 plus score of imposter phenomenon whereas only two percent of males scored in that category wow big difference there's a big yeah. difference um so it might be useful then uh, gabby just to let us know what those categories are so you mentioned the 80 plus category um uh, what were the what were the other categories yes there was less than 40 41 to 60 61 to 80 and then 80 plus okay and and the 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 range then is about the frequency and the intensity of the feelings is that right so mm. kind of like yeah. less than 40 is yeah i don't i don't tend to feel this very often or, or i don't feel it very intensely and then up to 80 would be the other way where either i feel it intensely and or i feel it regularly yes yeah so people in 80 plus have it frequently and yeah in lots of intensity 
Um, I wonder. I wonder. I guess I find it interesting about the increase through age, you know, sixteen to seventeen to eighteen. And I think the point that you make about it could be that um, at sixteen, I can't say everybody starts work because that would be inaccurate because some people might begin working earlier than, than 16. Um, but I guess as the older you get, the more experience you have um, in the workplace, I guess imposter phenomenon isn't necessarily just about the workplace. It could happen. Um, it could happen in sports. It could happen in education. It could happen in, in, in different settings. So um, Hannah, might you have any kind of working ideas to, to, kind of in this data set we're finding that you know 16 17 to 18 it progresses in terms of the the frequency that the people report experiencing imposter phenomenon as to what might be behind that do you think um i mean my intuitively i would i'd think that the more the role the older you get in that age age bracket the the closer the reality of having to actually find a job and mm. and, 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 and and performing and keeping a job and mm-hmm. it just I think becomes a little bit more real um at eighteen rather than at sixteen. I think when I was sixteen I wasn't thinking about those things. Mm. Um whereas once you're eighteen you're you it's at you're an adult and now you have to, you know, play time's over and um and, and it becomes a bit more real. So that that's intuitively what I would think and how I, I would explain it. Mm, okay. Maybe, that, maybe Gabby, that's one for your next research project. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we've talked about um, imposter phenomenon schools by age and by gender. Um, in terms of the, um, the factors then so the factors that, that might impact people's application for a job um hannah mentioned and then i elaborated on the kind of the the process that somebody might go through to join a company or to take on a role so what did you notice about the application process so i found that people um tended to in the less than 40 group so the people that experience not much imposter feelings um, I found that they tended to rate um, quite low, um, whereas mm-hmm. in the 80 plus group, they rated it really high. So they really valued having um, an easy application process. Okay. And what do you so mean with an easy application process? So um, they just, they wanted, they va- they valued having kind of something simple and something easy to follow Um rather than potentially kind of falling at hurdles throughout the process. Okay. Okay. So it might be about the number of hurdles that are in the way and or I guess the um yeah the accessibility of the of the role or how accessible the role may feel within that then. Okay. Yeah. And so so we've got a so if I was to vision visualize a bell curve then. So what we're saying is if they report strong strong imposter feelings um, they rated the um, the importance of the ease of application higher. So if we took the imposter phenomenon um, com- kind of comparator away, how did that data look just generally? So when you know in terms of the what might the that distribution curve look like if we took the imposter phenomenon bit out? So without the imposter phenomenon phenomenon, 
um the it was a normal distribution so kind of low at either end and then kind of a spike in the middle yeah so a very normal distribution but then when you add in the imposter feelings it kind of spikes up of people um people with the high imposter feelings rate it high and they want an easy mm. application okay so it skews that data very much to the right so instead of it being that standard bell curve it's skewed to the right hand side okay yeah that's really interesting um and i guess that could be because if we think about the the classic kind of Clance and Imes definition that I know Hannah you talked about in I think it was episode one around um, feeling like a fraud, uh, fearing that that people will find out that you're not as competent as they might think you are, um, and then feeling like you're not a success despite evidence to the contrary. Um, it could be that the that I suppose that in particular that bit about fear being not as competent could tie in with that ease of application process, especially if it links back to what Hannah was saying earlier on of having a long list of essential criteria and um and those kinds of things. There could be some correlation there, do you think? Yeah, no, I definitely do. Yeah. Okay. And was there was there something in your data that surprised you? Do you like it when data surprises us? Was there something that surprised you? Yeah. So when I was looking at the link between um, the effort needed to learn a new skill and the imposter score, um, I kind of thought going into it that people would, people with a high score would indicate that um, the effort needed to learn a new skill would have a high influence. Um, mm -hmm. But that really wasn't the case um, when we actually looked at the data. So we found that um, 21 we found um we found that people in the 61 to 80 category um only 21% of people rated um uh effort to learn a new skill as mm -hmm. a high to kind of a four or five influence and then yep. people in the 80 80 plus category they only 15% of them rated it in the kind of four to five high influence so yeah, mm -hmm. I really thought that would have had more of an influence, but actually it turns out that even people with lots of imposter feelings actually don't really mind um, learning new skills. Okay, wonderful. Fab, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. And it is, was there something else then? Something else or something more from your findings that you think that you'd like the audience to as i said earlier on there'll be a the the, the in-depth or the full report will will follow um and when we when we publish that we'll put a link to it in the show notes um yeah something else or something more gabby that you wanted to to share today um i mean my main kind of biggest finding i found was actually that there was a correlation between the imposter phenomenon scores and um some indicators of imposter phenomenon mm -hmm. um so the indicators come from the Clance Nines definition of imposter phenomenon. So that's things like um, feeling like a fraud in what you're doing, feeling like people will find out that you're not as competent as they think you are, and then also um, feeling like you're not a success despite actually evidence otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so we basically found that people that were in the low um, low imposter phenomenon feelings, so the 40 or below, um, they didn't really feel like a fraud. They, um, 
you know, they kind of attributed their success to themselves, mm. whereas people win the high imposter feelings, so the 80 plus category, actually did score highly on all of these indicators. Wonderful. So that gives us some good confidence that in the in both the validity and the reliability of the data that we're reporting then. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Wonderful. Fantastic. Thank you. Um coming your way then, Hannah, is is there I guess there's an element of of a so what from that then. Um so what so what I suppose where I want to move next into is into what my what my uh, let me try that one again. What might be our recommendations for yeah for our for our listeners who might be managers in in organisations or they might work in that people kind of HR profession? So when we're thinking about um, those the, the individuals that may uh, experience these imposter feelings and and thinking about that attraction, recruitment, selection, and, and welcoming, what might be some of our recommendations for them? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. Um, in general, is just be mindful of the reflexes of 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 people with imposter feelings and how how just be mindful of of these feelings as not to exclude them mm-hmm. um uh, by, uh, proactively so there's a couple of things so um we've talked about um how you write your job at your job description or your 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 requirements mm-hmm. um make make sure to feel make everybody feel welcome and don't you know, make like a, a huge list of requirements that that might scare people away. Um, mm. There's also because I was thinking of that when when Gabby was talking about you know people leaving school. Um, I had a discussion with a, with a friend um, a while ago, and he explained to me he was working at a large multinational, um, mm-hmm. and they were looking for new graduates to um, to apply. Um, so they were targeting universities, um, and um, they did a first wave of application. I think around March or something. Um, okay. So before before students had actually uh, graduated and gotten their diploma Hmm. and what they found is that in that wave of selection of recruitment they they really attracted a a a pool of very confident mostly male um uh uh, students Hmm. um whereas in the wave where they recruited i think end of june or beginning of july when people had actually graduated the group of applicants was a lot more diverse um and so that's also an example of things you need to take into account is that you know people with imposter feelings or that 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 are maybe less confident might not apply in march when they're not yet certain that they will actually graduate and and they don't Mm. feel confident enough to to apply so it's a silly thing but it's these kind of reflexes um that 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 companies need to have when they're in their recruitment process Mm. um and then there's a last thing that i would like to point out and that's something that i i i um i feel very related to is be mindful also of um the imposter phenomenon when reading through a cv um it's 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 hard to there's this huge fear of overpromising that people with imposter phenomenon have and mm. so i remember visibly um when i was you know writing my cv at one point uh, and i'd included mostly like dry descriptions of this is what i've done and 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 this is the size of the business that i've managed and and um function title just very dry things and my partner said he read it through it he said no you have to include your accomplishments you know market share growth and successful 
projects and targets mm. you delivered. And the mere idea just made my stomach turn. I, I could not write down my accomplishments because I didn't believe that were my accomplishments. So, so that's very important to keep in mind um, when you read through a CV and compare different CVs. Um, it's not because somebody doesn't put all of their accomplishments on there that they're not very valuable people. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> so one I think I'll add, which um, which I think will will support those that might report having um, high imposter feelings, and I also think um, would support. Um, everybody in, in the recruitment process um which is when it comes to an interview letting people know in advance what they're going to be interviewed on and what they're going to be interviewed against and ideally sharing the interview questions beforehand um because it helps in, it helps people prepare and it helps um it helps them get ready and, and it takes away some of that anxiety around over preparing i remember hannah in one of the previous episodes you mentioned about how you used to kind of over prepare and and um uh, just kind of because you have to plan for all possible eventualities so you don't get found out whereas if you know exactly what you're going to be asked and you know what's going to be coming then um then that can make uh, certainly make that process um more m more relaxing and, and more engaging which allows Absolutely. the individuals to to you know to, to represent themselves in the best way possible so i think that's a very good point actually yes um it takes away a lot of anxiety and it takes away it, it reduces the chance of you pa of, of, of of a panic reaction or a, mm. um uh, which which you know a lot of people with impulsive feelings will 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 be familiar with um so yeah absolutely very 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 good good point okay um and then as we start to come to a close then um uh, gabby is there something that you would add in terms of the recommendations or the the ideas for uh, for people to think about from either from your experience or from your findings no i mean i agree with both of you i think that um having an easy application process potentially making it like very clear what the stages are and what is expected of them at each stage, I think it's really important. And also making it clear that, you know, of those list of requirements that you put out, actually making it clear that you don't need all of them. You can learn a new skill because like my research has found is actually people don't mind learning a new skill, but it has to be made clear that actually they don't need it going in. It's they're, they're allowed to have that time to learn it. They don't need it straight away right off the bat so i think yeah having a really clear process okay yeah. wonderful thank you gabby um so what we'll do shortly then is we'll move into our kind of closing um aspects where i'll ask both hannah and gabby um what's something that that surprised you over the course of either gathering your data i know gabby we've, we've heard of one surprising finding for you from you so far and i'm not asking about a finding in particular but something that kind of surprised you as you as you were working your way through your research and then hannah is there something that's that surprised you as we as we've recorded this series i think it would be a nice way to to kind of bring uh to bring it to a close before we get there though um for you fair listener um 
as we mentioned earlier on, uh, one of the focuses for emotional work is about our blueprint for high-performing teams. So if what you want are teams that are psychologically safe, that have a constructive culture where emotions can be expressed and teams that are high-performing, then get in touch with us or get in touch with me at phil at emotionalwork.co.uk and we can share the blueprint with you um, and we can talk a bit more about how your teams can be high-performing. Uh, okay, so let's go. Uh, Gabby, can we come to you first, if that's okay? What's what surprised you? I think just the how imposter feelings translate across everyone. Obviously, there's lot there's been lots of research in like older people, people that are already in jobs and have already had jobs for a long time, but actually, it translates across everyone and in young people as well. And just I think it's surprising and interesting how everyone feels it. And actually, I think it needs to be more talked about and more focused on. Wonderful. Fabulous. And another plug for your paper that will be coming soon as well, because I think that would definitely help. So yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, and Hannah, um, what surprised you? Um, well, I, I agree with Gabby. For me, when I first started looking into it, one of the first things I read about is was about, you know, how widespread it is. So that 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 was really I think a lot of people don't realize that. So 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 that's definitely one. And then I wouldn't say surprise, but as I was working through the whole paper and 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 thinking about it and 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 and, and you know coming across tips and tricks and it just surprised me how much is out there already and it has mm. been written about it and 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 um and there's so many um useful things um or tools for tools and tricks for, for managers um out there but they're not they're all all over the place i would say so and there's there's not um it, it's it's ra rarely ever you know, gathered together and and presented to new 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 managers, and I think yes, that 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 for me is the eye opener. Is that so many people have it? There's so much written about it, but I've never um, come across any kind of training or discussion at my workplace, um, and, and that's something that I would love to see changed. Wonderful, fantastic. In which case, Dan, I will say, um, Gabby, thank you so much for sharing your findings, sharing your research and coming on the podcast with us today. Hannah, thank you so much for for coming on for the last three episodes. Um, it's been wonderful to to have you with us and it's been great to to hear your experiences, hear your insight um, and to have your voice on the Emotional Work podcast. So thank you both very much. Well, thank you, Phil, for for having me and showing uh, showing the interest. It was a real uh, honour to, uh, to be on your podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. It was very fun. You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast. And if you got this far, you must be interested in the role that emotions have in the workplace, either within individuals, between people in teams or in organisations as a whole. So head over to the Emotion at Work hub, which you can find at community.emotionatwork.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.